It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. Hey, Rob here, getting you set up for an interview with the host and executive producer of Tough as Nails, Phil Kogan. He stopped by to talk with myself, Jessica Leese, and Mike Bloom about a very fun season of Tough as Nails, currently airing twice a week. Check out our podcast coverage every Monday here for the rest of the way. And here is our interview with Phil. You can check out the video as well on our YouTube channel at robhasawebsite.com slash YouTube. All right, we are here waiting for Phil Kogan, the amazing race, tough as nails, uh, executive producer. I need power, Rob. I need power. I'm plugging in. I I need power for the three of you guys. This is the challenge, Phil. You're in the OT. Can you hook up the laptop? Laptops, power, the computing across the world. Every year. Millions now, Phil, of laptops. Is your, Phil, is your workstation clean? That's what matters. <laughs> yeah, this is my white workstation. Collar tough is as nails. Totally clean right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, none of you listening to the podcast can see this, but Phil had to rewire his entire house to get this computer hooked up. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, after making my way through a minefield of stuff, no. Um, it's really nice to see you guys. And I, I have to say, I've been enjoying your uh, updates uh, very much. And, uh, and and it never ceases to amaze me or uh, the Tough as Nails team just how uh, insightful, uh, observant, um, and discerning you all are um, with the show. So we really do enjoy listening to you guys. Um, I do love a lot of the assumptions that are made that those are always fun for me. Cause it's sort of like, I want to talk back to the podcast, which is fun, but, um, I know I really do enjoy it. So thank you. Um, you really are, uh, in full bloom this season. Um, <laughs> just that off your shoulder there. Sorry. I couldn't help it. I'm yeah. sorry. Terrible. Uh, well, terrible we joke. are in the midst yeah. of season five of tough as nails and a season that we have really been enjoying. Uh, it's been very, very fun. Uh, we've been liking the, the Friday, Sunday bookends also, and it's been, you know, yes. a great group that you have. So how are you feeling here in season five? Well, um, really good. I love the season. I got to tell you, um, we did not have a, have a lot of uh, lead up time to get the show launched. I I got a I got a call two weeks before we were about to head out on Amazing Race, and it was like, okay, we're going in two weeks, and we're going to be on twice a week. And so uh, I've got a lot of people like they're confused about the airing. They're like, is Sunday's episode a repeat of Friday's episode? And I'm like, no, 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 no. They're um, they're different episodes. Uh, the good news is I just saw the, 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 the plus seven ratings and there's like a lot of people who are like playing catch up anyway, it's going to be good for other shows that are going to air twice a week because we're kind of like breaking the mold. But I, I do want to apologize to viewers for the fact that extremely short notice. And then it's like, what we're doing like a mini binge and it's two episodes a week. And this whole thing's going to be over in July. Like what? Mm-hmm. So uh, thank you to our faithful fans for 
sticking with us, but it is not being easy to track, I have to say. Yeah. Well, well Phil, it's interesting. One of the things that we talked about this earlier this week was that I almost feel like it's easier to watch if I'm watching two episodes in quick succession. Like I've felt much more connected to these people. Like I'm spending more concentrated time with them. I would say at least that part of it feels like I would like to keep that. Like let's have two hour tough as nails episodes all the time. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think also um, it it also makes the incredible storylines that we're tracking and we're we're following. I think it makes it more obvious, like just how we are telling Cheryl's story or Akilah's story, the arc of the characters. Um, and and as as you know, that's like a huge part of what Tough as Nails is all about is is having those characters for the whole season uh, we're able to arc those stories because with Caroline, Car- Carolina's story, where there's some, there's a great moment of redemption coming up later in the season. This is somebody who was the first eliminated, but then has this opportunity to redeem herself. And there are others that do similar things, like where you might actually question whether this could actually have happened. Like, how could that have happened? I mean, this is a person who was eliminated early in the individual competition. So I think you're absolutely right, uh, Jessica, that um, you're seeing more of that story tracking because these pieces are back to back. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just a, a di- again, I do want to compliment you guys on just the things that you've observed and things that were really important to us, like the the that moment with Cheryl in the van, which is one of the more powerful moments I think we've ever wow. had on Top as Nails where this 55-year-old woman is talking about having lived through a time where somebody like her wasn't accepted. And now I feel like not the whole country, but a lot of the country are more accepting of a Cheryl in the world and where Cheryl feels uh, like she has a place in this world where she maybe didn't, uh, you know, two decades ago. So I love those moments because those are just so organic and and real to what it is we're trying to say because we don't want to preach we don't want to be like oh you know it's really challenging being a, a woman in the workforce when it is but i mean we don't want to like be making like these generalized sort of statements but when you hear it from somebody from a personal level to me it's incredibly powerful so the fact that you guys picked up on that and that was a really big thing for us to have that cheryl moment in the van i'm glad you're enjoying that stuff yeah absolutely i mean i mean i think one of the bigger story elements that we want to talk about as well it's one of the things we've been loving about this season and to jess's point has been like so nicely flowing through this two episode a week structure is the savage crew of it all. And I would wager yeah. to say that like the reactions in the moment to these team challenges have been perhaps like the most upfront than they have ever been between your Jessica, your Paul, your Aquila, just like wearing their heart on their sleeve. I'm curious in the moment, is it like as apparent to you of how much these people are truly trying to bring every single thing and when we have a team bottoming out like Savage Crew, it is just so palpable in a way it hasn't been before. Well, I really loved your observation about the difference between, and I think you said it, Jessica, with the way uh, that Jessica, being a mother, being encouraging at the end of that uh, shopping spree challenge, where it was so close, where um, 
where for her, they were just literally seconds away from a win. And had they won, then Aquila would have said, we did a great job. We did an amazing job. Uh, everybody did really, really well. We won as opposed to losing by two seconds and then being like, we did a terrible job and we, we didn't do the job right. Because I think then as, as you had said, Mike, in Aquila's world, there is only winning and losing. There's no analyzing whether we actually did a good job, but lost it's where in Jessica's being a mother, it's sort of like, Hey, listen, we did our best. That was amazing, guys. Let's just move on from this and just accept that we did a good job. In Aquila's world, no, you either win the fight or you don't win the fight, period. And they lost the fight. And she was not willing to just be like, everything's okay. And so mm -hmm. I loved seeing that difference between the, the two the ways that the 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 ways that they both analyzed that loss um as a team and how close. I mean. You said it uh, in in looking at it, you you know, there was no fakery there. That was you saw it in the one shot. Just it was literally I mean, that was a hell of a call we had to make in the moment where the straps were going over and very, very particular uh, with the assessment of, of that win. But it was seconds. It was really seconds, <laughs> unlike the apples where it was. Uh, and by the way, with the apples, you were like, yeah, it's a thousand pounds. You could not tell. We could not tell. I could not tell. I had no oh. idea. Like, look at the look at the um, look at the boxes of apples, and compare the two, and tell me if you saw a thousand pound difference. None of us did. We had no idea. We, you know, we had no idea. And 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 if you remember, Savage Crew also uh, had left some of their baskets inside. They got buried inside with the apples, so it sort of helped fill up the <laughs> the, the box. Um, ah. I, I do want to go back to something, an assumption that was made by you guys and also by Andy Denhart. And I want to address, uh, the mud challenge. Yes. Um, one of the things I struggle with, uh, and, and, and I've learned a few things about your assumptions and, and, and then the way that we run things is in the mud challenge, I made the assumption that everybody would have assumed that we reset the challenge and that it was set back to uh, its original form. Bad assumption. You guys made the assumption that I did not reset it and that the first person running through ran through a smooth run and that those people at the back end were running through the ruts of the people who went before. So just to uh, clear up the point here, because there were very valid points. And I think I could have easily have fixed it while I made it very, very clear to the contestants how it worked. I could have made it more clear to you uh, in front of the audience, in front of the, the cast. Mm -hmm. Just so you know, after every heat, we will be resetting the challenge. And those resets, by the way, took 30 minutes. And I will tell mm -hmm. you how it was done and how we tested this. So we took testers before the challenge ran and we ran them through both courses to make sure that they could run those courses on alternate days on different days. And when they were arrested, that they could be within seconds of each other on a reset. So meaning we run them through the challenge. We take a time, we reset the challenge. We give them a break. We bring them back the, the next day, run them through the challenge again. Can they run that course 
in a consistent time, expecting that they might be slightly faster because they've now actually run the course. But are those improvements on the two courses within seconds of each other, which we did. So uh, we got a bulldozer and we ran the bulldozer with a set blade height through the mud. I think it was eight inches so that the from the hard ground level, which was very, very hard to the top of the blade was exactly eight inches of mud. We then had dozens of plot points on the mud course where we measured with a measuring stick the depth of the mud, the depth of the water in various spots in the mud to make sure that it was consistent. No ruts, smooth level surface, etc. I think Mike made the, the observation that the slowest, two slowest times were actually in the middle heats. They were actually with Paul and with Carly. They were literally three times slower than most competitors and literally twice as slow as Todd, who was in the very last heat. Ben wow. had a blowout because he he went into the water and he, you know, got water sucked up into his motor. So anyway, I just wanted to, and I, cause I know Andy Denhart also made that point, but I should not make the assumption that you will make the assumption that we are. Yeah. Phil, uh, that's our job. yeah, let us I apologize for not yeah, getting you the benefit. Culpa. See, I, I kind of thought you reset it, but Mike no, no. was so adamant that, like, okay. oh, this seems so, a little listen, fishy. Listen, let's not play the blame game. Let's not yeah. we'll talk about this in the damn van, no, okay? I, yeah, we didn't I know that. Like, <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Jessica. No, sorry, we didn't know there was such a thing as a mud Zamboni, Phil. Like, how are we supposed to know that? <laughs> we you know, it's Canada. funny you should say that because... It's funny you should say that because that's exactly what I was going to say to you was it is a little bit like that, but I'm going to take responsibility. I, I learned something from that, which is not to make the assumption because you always get haters online. I'm not saying you guys, but but other people also said something about, well, that's not fair because there's ruts in the thing. And then people start piling on. Then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, can you imagine you're the fifth person and now you've had all these people running through the footsteps and, and they just like go off on a whole thing. And you're sitting there thinking, all I had to say was we're going to reset. So that whole reset took 30 minutes mm -hmm. and it was being watched very intently by every contestant, I can guarantee you that they were watching very closely, want to make sure that they had a fair run. So there's that. The other thing that I, and so I learned something out of that. I learned that that would have been an easy fix for me to just mention it on the show and just squash out any assumption that we didn't reset properly. The other assumption that I probably shouldn't have made, there were no apples in the tree. They were not harvesting apples at the time with the, that we were there. There's nothing to pick out of the tree. Those apples came out of a freezer. Those apples were damaged in a storm. Those apples were bruised, damaged, out of shape, had some kind of insect damage, weren't to QC. None of them could ever be sold for human consumption. They were animal feed, basically. I should have said... Um, and look, you have to be careful about how far you want to get into the weeds. Do we really want to say to the audience, by the way, there's no apples really coming out of the tree. Those apples weren't picked and put in and those no bundles under that tree. The making of those this episode, apples, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
like how far do you want to get into the orchard as far as like the details? But anyway, I should have said tree of these apples are not fit for human consumption and they have not passed QC. However, rest easy and know that none of these apples will go to waste and they will be fed to animals. Now, if I had just said that, then everybody wouldn't be like, I can't believe those people were bruising those apples. What a waste of apples. I'm, Again, I made the assumption that people would think that I wasn't wasting beautiful apples. Mm -hmm. So that's on me as well. So I learned I learned a couple of things from the, your observations. Phil, could you tell us a little bit about anyway, the sele <laughs> the selection process of uh, why? And it's uh, you know a beautiful city, uh, but how did you arrive at Hamilton, Ontario, Canada? Out of uh, you know the potential places that you could have gone for the first uh, out of Los Angeles edition of Tough as Nails. Uh, we we looked everywhere. We looked at a lot of different places. I love uh, I love Detroit. It's a it's a great working class town. Um, Pittsburgh with the steel. Yeah. Um, we we looked in 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 probably a dozen places, and then Canada was pitched to us, and we start to look at where you can base everybody, and then the drive time from a center to getting to great locations. And when we looked at the mileage and and also the great tax incentive with shooting in Canada and then also the fact that we were bringing Canadians into the mix, uh, Hamilton just made sense on paper for both the opportunity for completely new and different challenges, but also a great tax incentive. Um, I love Canadians there and Hamilton is like a perfect town yeah. So, I mean, it's called the hammer. It's steel. Town. It's like, yeah, it was like the perfect location. Yeah. Well, on that note about yep. those challenges, I mean, something that we have made a note of and really appreciated as well is that obviously in the beginning of Tough as Nails, I think it was very much, okay, do this challenge to be an electrician for the day or to be, you know, a plowshare farmer for a day. But two big challenges like that shopping spree challenge you mentioned before, as well as the build a structure that can withstand 2000 pounds. Talk about the conceptualizing of that. You're five seasons in at this point. Are you and your team thinking, okay, we can stray away from that original conceit and create more out-of-the-box things that aren't necessarily occupational but still serve as different challenges? Well, I think it's, um, you know, for, for a contractor going to a home improvement store, time is money. The faster you can get in and out of a hardware store, like for Jessica, going in, that's money. It saves you money. If you know where stuff is and you can be a super efficient when you go in there. And of course, yeah, look, at the end of the day, it is a TV show. Just like those apples didn't necessarily come off that particular tree. There is a, there is some form of simulating something that we try to keep as real as possible. Now, when it comes to the overtime, we obviously game that up a little bit. I mean, it's an opportunity where we bring things into a very tight space. We don't, make the the overtime into a bigger space. We try to make it more like the, uh, you know, like going into a cage at the MMA or a boxing ring where everybody's sort of crowded around something. And so, you know, we take a few liberties there where, you know, is there really a challenge where people are trying to grind apples out and make cider? No, but um, it's, it's related. But yeah, as far as like um, doing particular challenges and trying to gamify the real world in a real job, Sometimes we have to take some creative license with how we do that. It's not 
literally like, oh, on this day, they are picking apples and they are loading them on. Nobody's going to load apples onto a uh, onto <laughs> the back of a trailer like that for human consumption. So we have to take some liberties. We're making a TV show at the end of the day. We try to keep it as real as we possibly can. But yeah, I, I expect to see um, already now we're looking at some future challenges, some creative choices as far as like things maybe that people don't know. But at its core, we are trying to plug into a existing job site and do something that already exists for sure. So do you think you're going to stay in Canada for the foreseeable future or do you have a new location planned? No, no, no. We'll we'll try to we'll try to mix it up. We'll try to get to other places. Um, and as a matter of fact, other places have already sort of reached out to us um, about uh, you know, inviting us to come and shoot in their town. Yeah. Why wouldn't these other cities want you to come? They do. Yeah, they do. It's perfect. And and for us, yeah, we want to mix it up. Look, the only reason we really stuck with LA for the first four seasons was we were making two shows. We were making Tough as Nails and we were making a, a COVID production that nobody got to see. Um, that was such a strain on production. You know, we were the first CBS show back after the uh uh, after COVID started, after the pandemic. And it was incredibly stressful. It was like, you go to adjust something on the set, you touch it and be like, okay, you need to back out. we got to spray it, wait 15 minutes. Now the art department can go in and move something. Now we got to wait 15 minutes and spray that down. I mean, it was a nightmare. I'm not right. going to be, uh, you know, I'm not going to mince words about it. And so the idea that we would then take a well-oiled machine to a different city and deal with COVID protocols on top of being in a different city was too much. We were like, let's just focus on keeping it as simple as we possibly can. And that's why we stuck in LA. But I would like to see a day where we just, we, we, we move around. Um, mm. I think you would have seen that Australia started casting for a season yeah. of tough as nails. Uh, Turkey, Turkey just signed uh, a deal to do a version of tough as nails um, I could see a time where, you know, maybe we do an international. Uh, well, I guess Canada is technically international, but I could see us going somewhere like we could go to Mexico. Like Mexico City would be a great location for Tough as Nails. So, yeah, we want to move around. Uh, it also opens up the possibility for fresh and new and different jobs like being in Lake Ontario there with the dry dock and the steel and, you know, um, all of that's, you know, super exciting. I have to imagine that you having been everywhere is probably pretty helpful in this arena. Like something must occur to you. Hugely. Like, Oh, I went there for amazing race. or went there for one of your other many shows. And yeah, it's, 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 it's hugely exciting, Jessica, just to think about the possibilities and of places. And, and, you know, I just came back from a quick whirlwind tour going to Milwaukee, uh, Detroit, uh, where else was I? Uh, oh, I was in Dallas. And and um, those cities offer, um, oh, in Minneapolis, those cities, all of them, any one of them could be great tough as nails locations. And I've been to all of them before. But I, um, yeah, I really love that. Um, I was going to tell you about the, the 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 running through the Home Depot Center. I had a guy who was uh, like a, a top, he's a cameraman and he's a top ice skater. And he was on rollerblades getting some of those shots. And wow. he just had a bowl, <laughs> the whole place to ourselves. 
But um, there was another point that you guys brought up, which some viewers also brought up. And this is one of those things where you can never truly anticipate everything and we don't always anticipate everything. I did not see somebody breaking an oven uh, in the challenge. <laughs> now, when um, when other sh countries get to make, when they get to do the challenges, they get to see our debrief. They get to see a discussion. We're like, hey, you know what? We didn't think of somebody breaking some, something in, this, in the Home Depot store. Um, but you guys might want to factor that into your rules because we didn't see it coming. It happened. It's not like I never saw it coming. But can you imagine like, oh, my God, they should be penalized because they broke an oven. But we never told them that they would be penalized if they broke anything. Uh, let's give them a penalty. What's the penalty? Hey, other team says, you never told us there was going to be uh, a penalty for breaking something. Now you want to just throw that there's going to be a penalty. So, again, um, you make certain assumptions when you go into certain things. I did not see anybody breaking an oven. And then adjudication in rules in, in challenges is incredibly difficult because let's say we had made a rule and we said, listen, by the way, if you break anything, there's going to be a penalty and the penalty will, will be we're going to take one minute off your time. OK, so somebody runs through the Home Depot store and they knock over a can of paint and the can of paint falls on the ground and they dent the can. No paint spilt, but they dent the can. Is it broken? How do you assimilate that? And the other team says, well, that's broken because now that that, you know, tin of paint is is damaged. That's a penalty. Is it a penalty? You if you if you knock something off the shelf and it gets slightly scratched, is that a penalty in a store in real life? If you break something in the store, they have insurance. Do they kick you out for taking uh, for shopping? You're out of the store. You can't shop here. You just broke something. Get out like it's very difficult to anticipate every single thing. And then the adjudication and the semantics of how you adjudicate yeah. something like that, you've got to be very, very careful. It's not a it's not a black and white thing. It's very difficult. Phil. Well, if you if you needed somebody to split hairs, like that's why that's what we're here for. That's yeah. what we do. You gave twelve thousand oh, dollars to I'm dirty hands. Is, Take it out of their money. You're forcing me to you're forcing me to think. And that's great. And and Andy Andy Denhart does the same thing with certain observations. I think what you know about running a challenge is, you know, goes on back to Amazing Race when the twenties moved the money, you know. And I didn't know when they came to the mat, and then people were like, "How come you didn't say something and didn't adjudicate that?" You you can never get it a hundred percent right. But I do envy those countries who pick up our challenges and who will probably run this challenge because it was such a great one. I, I, I do envy them getting a second shot at it and being able to be like, yeah, we looked at it. This happened. That happened. Um, next time let's make it this, or let's make it that. So um, we never, you can never get it all right. But I think this season, I, just, I definitely learned probably better to just not, make the assumption that people think you're going to do the right thing. Make the assumption that people think you're, 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 you know, you're not. That's then, a more charitable way. That's a more charitable way of saying like, you know, don't, don't overestimate the intelligence of your viewership. 
Well, no, I think, I think it's, I think you bring up a good point. It's like, we know, and then the cast know, and we go to great lengths. I always say to the, to the cast, if you've got any issues with fairness, speak up. I, after we do the rules, we have them all raise their hands and they say, you know, does everybody agree? If you agree, if everybody understands, if everybody knows the rules, raise your hands and say, I understand, or I agree. We do that on purpose because we, we will continue to ask, answer questions about the fairness or the legitimacy of a challenge to contestants until they've got no more questions because we, we don't want them to be questioning fairness. And, and, and sometimes I guess, uh, some of that information probably needs to be shared with the viewer so they know that they know mm. that we're addressing the fairness. So, um, yeah, anyway, yeah. um, yeah, I'm really, really, uh, I'm really, really pleased with this season. I, I, I love that we, um, we have some really strong women. I think it's hugely important at a time when we're going through a transitional period, meaning it wasn't that long ago that men ran out and stopped women, women from running in my lifetime, stopped women from running marathons because they thought they weren't physically up to it. We've gone through so many great changes and there are still some people that think that it's unfair that we have men and women competing, but I want to be part of the future and change and where women will be accepted in the future, not necessarily where we're at now. There are less women in the trades. There are less minorities in the trades. The chances of minorities or or women standing out against men is, uh, you know, they have less of a chance. There's just, just because the pool of people that we're picking from, there's just less good people in those groups. There are more there's a bigger pool of men, of white men who work in the trades, who are are uh, you know putting their hand hand up and saying I want to compete. But I want to be, I don't want to continue to be a part of what the past is, which is like, you know, we have to separate men and women competing. I want to be part of where we might be in ten years, where there is more of a balance and more young women are being encouraged to be in the trades. And where more fathers are teaching and mothers are teaching their young girls. When you hear Yessi talking about things she learned from her father, where there's more of that, where the kids, the young girls being born today are going to be encouraged to pick up tools and work with them as young kids, like maybe boys were more in the past. I want to be part of that future. Um, it does mean that men at the moment, as far as like sheer numbers, definitely have an advantage. They're, there are more men and young boys being encouraged to work in the trades than women. That's just a fact. Can't get around that. But I, I want to be part of the change. Where And I think our team does. And ask any of the women if they think it's fair that they're competing against the men. Ask Akila, Jessica, Yessi, Cheryl. You want to compete equally against the men? I guarantee you none of them are going to say, no, 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 no. We want our own division. They don't want that. They want to be thought of as being equal. Mm. I mean, to that point, it's something that I know we brought up on the podcast is it does seem like whether coincidental or not, the past two seasons have had, you know, the first 
four or five boots of the season being women. Do you feel like that is a bit of, you know, a, a pure coincidence? Does it come down to challenges, the people you cast? Because I do think, I think you bring up so many salient points and I do agree that I think the contestants themselves want to show that they are capable, no matter what the gender of, of accomplishing the same thing. We saw this with Cheryl versus Marcus. But when you look at a trend like that, does that allow you to question inward and think, is this a trend that I, I'm actively trying to stop? You don't want to trust, you don't want to stop it. But I think it's like I said, I don't see that women are any different than, say, a minority who is in the trade because there are less minorities in the trade. So it's a little bit like um, if you look at New Zealanders competing in the Olympics, we have amazing athletes, but we just have less amazing athletes competing in the Olympics than the United States because the pool of the population is so much greater. So do we want to have like a, a division in the Olympics where it's like, um, OK, countries under five million uh, competing in the 100 meters. So these are the best of the people who are from countries with really small populations. Or do you just say, no, this is a this is the Olympics. Um, it's the best of the best from any country, whether it's five million or 300 million. And my feeling is, no, let like I said, is the, the the men typically are going as far as like uh, as far as like a, a pool of people to pick from. The men have an advantage over minorities and over women. That's just a fact. But I don't want to be. I I I, I want if and, and the women I know that are on our show, they want to show like Aaliyah has, um, like we've had you know Sarah who who was uh, also mm -hmm. in the final three, and you'll see this season what happens, these women can hold their own. I mean, pound for pound, there is nobody we have ever had stronger than Akila, And she has mm -hmm. an unbelievable killer instinct. I mean, pound for pound and go back to Linda in season one, the in the final yeah. five. And she out chopped Murph and Danny and, and miles. I mean, so yeah, I, I, uh, I don't um, we're not trying to adjust things to make it so that more women are going to uh, do better. But it is there. There, there is an opportunity for women uh, to excel and they have. And like I said, it's just that's just the way the world is right now. But where are we going to be in 10 years? I think it's going to be different. Phil, uh, this cast for Tough as Nails, uh, this seems like that this is an older group than we've seen on some of the earlier seasons. Is that a conscious decision? Is that something that you're looking for more from these Tough as Nails casts? No, I mean, I think uh, I, I if you look at Allie last season, 22, uh, if you look at uh, uh, Rufa Lee or Michelle or Cheryl, 55 or um, Todd, you know, I love that we have people literally on Tough as Nails that stretch out over four generations. So Todd, the toolmaker, who's one of my favorite characters um, ever, uh, you know, here's Todd, the toolmaker. He's in his 60s or sorry, he's 58. You look at Todd, the toolmaker, and he's not going to necessarily be able to outrun uh, a George, but his life skills and, and, and his ability to work with his hands and his smarts in the real world, that practical intelligence is at a higher level than you're going to get 
for the most part from a younger competitor. So I love that maybe, yeah, you're fitter and you're maybe you're um, stronger, but how about your mental toughness, life skills, and um, your ability to uh, get the job done or that knowledge, you know, how about this stuff? And so I love that. And we get a lot of, uh, we, we get a lot of people loving on that. You know, where else do you see a 55 year old woman like Cheryl leading a group of men and women to victory? I mean, she's just such an awesome woman. You know, I, how, where else do you see people like this on TV, you know? And yeah, I just, I, I love that we can have somebody like Cheryl on our show and celebrate her. Yeah, 100%. This is going to be a totally abrupt and indelicate segue. But can we talk about Martin Short for a second? How did that happen? Where did yes. that come from? <laughs> well, um, Martin Short. So uh, we were going to Hamilton, Ontario. And, and when I when I mentioned it to somebody, they were like, oh, um, doesn't, um, doesn't Martin Short come from Hamilton, Ontario? And I was like, does he? And they were like, oh, yeah, no, he's always talking about Hamilton, Ontario. And I was like, OK, so I looked him up and then I find out that his father worked at Stelco, which is the big steel company, which was literally just down the lake front from where we were starting. So I saw him at the uh, I saw him. Gosh, I saw him at some event and I just said, hey, uh, would you ever consider doing a, a welcome for our teams? sorry, for our cast. And when they go to Hamilton, Ontario, you said, I'll do anything to put Hamilton, Ontario on the map. I was like, great. Okay. So um, I was able to thank him at the Emmys last year, but yeah, it was just kind of cool. You know, it's like Martin Short is, you know, he would be the first to admit he's not exactly uh, the epitome of tough as nails. Um, certainly a tough as nails comedian. I love him. I think he's so funny, but uh, yeah, it's just, a fun way of like getting into the into Hamilton, Ontario and help to put it on the map. You didn't like it, Michael? You, oh, no, you know, I, he I loved, loved it. it. He I, loved it. I, I, I adored it. I'm a Martin <laughs> Short fan myself. I was just to be candid, one of the most random opening to a reality show I think I've ever no, seen. I, listen, I think random. I mean, you want to talk about random uh, Leah in the orchard wearing a, uh, you know, a wig. I mean, totally yeah, Mike random. Loved that too. Listen, oh, I love that. I love that. More undercover yeah. Tough as Nails contestants, please. <laughs> does it make any sense? Not really. Um, is it kind of just us like fishing for something to just see what might happen if we like, would anybody just like be like, isn't that Leah straight away? Or would they be fooled? It's very hard to hide a, tough as nails champion in an orchard. And, and so, you know, why not throw a wig on? And then, you know, has anybody ever told you, you look a little bit like Leah? I don't know. Maybe it fell flat and died, but I, I, I will tell you this. I, I, I will, uh, I'm always going to try stupid stuff and fun stuff. And just, you know, I think um, there's too much predictable TV and sometimes stuff that makes absolutely no sense kind of makes sense in the end because it just makes no sense. And that's kind of why people like, what the hell are they doing? Was she wearing a wig for like, really? You had to put her in a wig. She was into it. Uh, I thought it was a fun way of doing things. And then and she put on some silly accent. I don't even know where that accent came from. But, you know, 
Hey, she is our Jill of all trades. Jill of all she's trades. willing to do anything. Oh, no. She'll you're, commit you're, to the bit. You're speaking my love language. <laughs> I love the morsels. I want you juggling apples more. I want you making more dad jokes, Phil. Uh, I, I have to say, I think my dad jokes went to an all-time low this season. Um, some of them are pretty bad. Like where I know, I know they're landing pretty low when the whole cast just groans, you know. <laughs> Like they can't help but laugh, laugh when it, I'm not sure if it's because they feel sorry for me or where they actually think that the joke is so bad that it's, you know, but um, I, I, um, I love, uh, I love the cast. I love, uh, I love having fun with them. I think it's super important uh, also to lighten the mood a little bit here and there. Cause you know, things this season, we had some pretty big personalities, we had some heat. There was some heat with some of our characters um, and it's not over yet. Um, but what I will say is uh, one of the very important things on our show is that nothing is left unresolved, meaning things get heated, but whether it's in the damn van or whether it's somewhere in the process, we want to show that we can agree to disagree and that People can get heated with each other and that's normal and that's okay. And that's healthy. Get it out. Say what you got to say, but not to leave things unresolved. You know, what do they say in marriage? Never go to bed angry with each other. Like, you know, figure it out, accept, accept your differences. And so that's very important with us on Tough as Nails is that at some point, like with Murph in season one, sorting things out with Tara in the van, you know, it's like, just get it out resolve it, move on. That's the real world. I think the way we should be doing things. We got too much division where people have conflict and then there's no, like people just can't agree to disagree or just can't agree to like move forward. And so our cast, they're from all walks of life and different, differing uh, opinions. But I think at the end of the day, there is a deep respect. And I will tell you that Everybody who's on, who's been on Tough as Nails, and now they've all connected with each other. They go on reunion trips to Vegas and wow. gamble, and they have trips away. And I, I saw Carly was at a viewing party with Todd, where all his family are wearing like Toddism shirts, and um, the, the big, you know, there's screenings. And Laren came out for a screening to to hook up Laren from season four, hooked up with everybody from season five. So it's a family, it's a family. And so I, I love that these people have all come together. What they have in common is they work really hard. They've got, they're honorable people and we don't take it lightly that we have their reputation in our hands. You know, we, we have, we want to leave them leaving the show. We want them to leave the show with dignity at the end of the day. We're not about pulling them down, but it doesn't mean we're going to hide the conflict that might happen along the way either. Okay. Now, Phil, now we can say this. I don't know if you can, but you know, a couple of years ago, we had this pandemic uh -oh. and you said hmm. to the fine people at the CBS network, get on my back. I got, I got you. I got this. We got <laughs> so you, you got knocked out seasons of tough as nails. You went through all the COVID protocols. You got on the amazing race plane, went all around the world. Now we all know nobody's more pro union than Phil. We know this mm -hmm. big part of mm -hmm. tough as nails, mm -hmm. but here we got all this writer strike actor strike. Phil, 
How many more seasons of Tough as Nails are we going to get in the next six months? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> wow. We're, um, I, did, I just, Rob, I got to be honest with you. I just hope that we can keep Daily, going with Tough as five Nails. Five nights a week, you think? No, that's yeah, five nights dream. a week. I, I, <laughs> I think we just strip it. Um, maybe we just do live. You know, we're crossing <laughs> live now to that damn van, and uh, we just. <laughs> <laughs> we do a radio show from the damn van. And, I think you uh, might have to air it at I 10 mean, o'clock again if you're doing live feeds to the damn van. I think standards <laughs> and practices might be uh, have yeah. to take the same you over, might, oversight You might there. be right about that. And we might have to, yeah, uh, boy. Um, look, I, I hope we have the opportunity to keep on going with Tough as Nails. Uh, I'm incredibly proud of what we've managed to do. You know, our budgets are not anywhere near the budgets of the bigger reality shows. Um, we we do a lot with what we have. Somebody said the other day, oh, you should make the prize bigger. I'm like, I would love nothing more to make the prize bigger. I would love to hand out even more money on Tough as Nails. But, you know, we're, we're, we're living in a really interesting time right now where with this strike and, and with content, and I, I'm really not sure where everything is going to go. But what I do know is that a reality show that can punch above its weight and be and, and give good return on investment that is going to be part of the future because we just can't, you know, we were in a bubble for a while where we were spending insane, insane amount of money on big budget television shows. And I don't know if we're ever going to see that again. Every, I, I really don't. I, I, I don't. Yeah. But I hope fingers crossed tough as nails will, will continue and they're going to keep we you can working continue hard. to talk yeah. about. Yeah. And um, by the way, uh, in uh, a few weeks, I think it's August the 4th, uh, I was asked to be on Secret Celebrity Renovation. Oh, oh and, yeah, I, I and, heard about um, this. Yeah, and so um, I actually, uh, I, I went down to uh, Antigua, where I grew up for eight years and and uh, was able to honor somebody. I was, I was asked to be on the show uh, earlier, but I, I didn't really have... I didn't feel, to be honest with you, I didn't feel like I was enough of a celebrity to be on the show. So I turned it oh. down, um, you know, but they got people like Shaq and I mean, they, they've had some like really big names. And, um, but then I found a great cause and there's somebody that's really special to me. And I thought, you know what, I could actually do something really cool with this opportunity. So uh, I believe it's going to be the premiere episode. It's, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I got to hook up with Rob, Boston Rob, and um, we hadn't seen each other since I eliminated him. So that was kind of oh. a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. Well, that, you know, try to pay it. Must be a good feeling. That, yeah. The best overtime challenges it was, are. It was great. It was really good. We um we were like bickering brothers uh, on the job site. And um, it was it was a fun time. We got on really well. We worked out every day together, went to the job site every day together, and um, actually really enjoyed my time with them. It was fun. Yeah, I'd like to get him on top of nails one day. Yeah, yeah that's this is a your damn opportunity damn, damn. I want to see to be like, okay, time for me to get into construction. Let me practice what I preach here. Let me start swinging that hammer. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I think at some point, you know, again, fingers crossed, tough as nails keeps going. I'd love to get Rob to come on and and uh, do one of the challenges. I think he'd be he'd be great at uh, setting up something. That'd be fun. Okay. All right. Well, Phil, thank you so much for making some time to talk to us about Tough as Nails. We always look forward to these conversations. Anything else you want to let the listeners know? 
No. Again, I just want to end by thanking the three of you for being so discerning and for continuing to talk about the little show that could. And yeah. uh, and also, you know, shout out to Andy Denhart also for continuing to follow Tough as Nails and helping to keep us in the zeitgeist. I think it's an important show in the mix of reality, which is there's a lot of celebrity reality television. And I think what's great about Tough as Nails is this is about the every person that we know in our neighborhood, the people that we greet each day and all of that. I, 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 so, and you guys have been a big part of helping to keep us in that reality zeitgeist. And so I do want to thank you, uh, Jessica, I know you're watching like 300,000 mm -hmm. episodes a week right now doing podcasts. So thank you for making the time for tough as nails. I do want to thank you guys. Yeah. I mean, I complain, but Mike watches way more than I do. Well, Rob watches the most out of all of us. So. That's true. Come on. It's not, this isn't a, a competition that we're all just uh, so Yes, happy. it is, Rob. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Phil, the, uh, I, I just want to recognize also nobody's better with the fans on uh, any of these shows than you, that Phil is always going back and forth. If you watch these shows, talk about the shows, Phil's probably going to answer your questions if you have them. And so I, I really appreciate what you do for the fans also, because you make them feel very accessible to everything you're doing on the show. Well, I think the fans and people like yourself asking questions and questioning the way we've done things is super, super important. And I think as a producer, if you try to, if you try to just ignore comments, people are making comments and saying certain things for a reason. They're not, you know, and, and so I have no problem opening a dialogue and then also saying, you know what, you make a really good point. And, uh, I promise you, I will not be doing the mud challenge again without talking about a reset. <laughs> That's not going to happen again. <laughs> I don't want to get caught in a rut, so to speak on that one. I'm going to, uh, definitely, I'm, I'm definitely going to, uh, talk about the pains that we went through to reset for 30 minutes on that. So thank you guys very, very yeah. much. Phil, Thank you so much. And uh, mm -hmm. looking forward to seeing the last couple of weeks here of Tough as Nails season five. Yes. Friday, Sunday nights, two different episodes. And we've only got two more weekends left of Tough as Nails. So, wow, this thing has gone fast. Okay. Phil, thank you so much. All right, everybody, there you have it. The amazing host of uh, Tough as Nails, creator, executive producer, juggler, Phil Kogan. And so we appreciate, we know he is juggling a lot of things on his schedule right now. So we appreciate Phil making some time to chat with us. If you missed our recap of Tough as Nails, you can hear it in our Robbins podcast, podcast feed, or our Tough as Nails feed. Both are available when you go to robbinswebsite.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.